First John chapter two. I, I really uh, I planned these uh, messages out uh, in advance, and so I knew that this week, I knew about two or three weeks ago that this week I would be around chapter two. But it's very interesting. I had um, about three or four conversations this week with people. Uh, and they all seemed to be a little bit different, but at the same time, my my one thought that I couldn't really it was it's kind of a, a, a easy way out answer. But my one thought was, come on Sunday because we're going to talk about what you're asking me about. And I sat with uh, people of different ages, different uh, backgrounds, and this was the one thought: you need to be here Sunday uh, because this is this is what uh, this is. It's gonna it'll help you. It'll, it'll, I think. If you pay attention and, and you listen to what, what, we're, what we're looking at and you understand where we've been coming from, and even if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks to really gather what First John 1 was talking about, First John chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, really just pause for a second. And they're going to hit the brakes and talk about a bit, a bit of a behind the scenes about what happened to you uh, as a, at salvation. And so what we're looking at this morning, the title of it, is just what happens when a Christian sins. Because uh, believe it or not, that happens, doesn't it? <laughs> if, you're, if you've been, if you've been a, a believer at least for 10 seconds, then you probably know, uh, yeah, I'm not perfect. Uh, I won't ask if anyone's married to a perfect person because I don't want to make uh, Larry feel uh, proud again. Like, uh, But... Uh, you know, we, we're all there. We all we all get to this. Uh, we all get to this point. I mentioned it a little bit last week as we looked at what people, the extremes that people swing to in regards to their their response to the light. Just a brief uh, background of what we looked at in chapter one. But chapter one, we talked about how that God is light. God is the 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 hundred percent light. There's no darkness in Him, and so. John said, and Jesus through John says that if you're going to walk in the light, then you can have fellowship with me. And you can have fellowship with everyone who also is in the light. But if you're going to say that you're in the light, but you actually walk in darkness, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to anybody that hears that. And you're calling, basically, you're, you're calling God a liar. In verse number 10 of chapter 1, it says, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. And so how can I really have fellowship with someone that I truly disagree with, that I'm pointing my finger at and saying, you lie? And so God says, uh, you, you, can't, you can't have that. But in each of those passages there, he tells us the remedy. He tells us how to fix that. And it really comes down to two things, honesty and confession. It, it's, it's being real about who I am because I don't have to impress God. This is not a, a, a first date type of a thing where I have to impress God and put my best foot forward with God because he's already seen me at my worst. In fact, he's seen me all my life. He's seen me before I knew me, before I was in the womb. He told Jeremiah, he says, before you were in, when you were in the belly, I knew you. Uh, God knows, and he, and he knew what we would become. And God knows what you're going to be like 10 years from now and 100 years from now. God knows your whole life. He, 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 he sees all of that. And at the same time, he says, you don't have to, you don't have to hide anything. I see you for who you are, and I still choose you. And that ought to be encouraging. Uh, then we, we, we talked about forgiveness and confession and how amazing that is that, that when I realize who I am and, 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 and I'm frustrated at myself because I didn't perform the way that I should have performed and I didn't, I didn't behave 
today as I knew I should have or as I believe a Christian should have, and I stumble and I fall. And so then I've got these two um, responses that are very natural to me. First one is just to ignore that I, uh, well, the first one is to say, yeah, it's okay, I sin, but I'm forgiven. Jesus forgives me, and I don't care, I don't have to change. And so there's the light over there, but it's okay because I'm just like a long, distant relative, um, and I'm just going to live in the dark because it's okay, because Jesus forgave, and all I had to do was believe uh, and accept in Jesus, and Jesus forgives all and, and loves me despite of who I am. It's incomplete. And in a way, it's just completely wrong. Because Jesus does love us despite who we are, but he's not, he's not willing to leave us as we are. Uh, those of you uh, moms and dads out there, you had a child and you loved them exactly as they were, but there was a lot of training that went into that kid. You didn't love them uh, unconditionally and say, but I'm fine if you just stay like that. I mean, I, I will feed you and you're 23 years old and I'll be changing your diapers. I'm okay with that. No, you say, I don't want you to, I love you the way you are, but I want you to change. I want you to learn how to, to, to grow up. I want you to mature. I want you to be complete as an adult, and I will love you every step of the way, and if you mess up and you make a mistake, I'm going to still love you and I'm still going to be there, but I expect some change. And Jesus said there, if you're going to walk in the light, if you're going to have fellowship with me, you're going to have to step out into the light, and you're going to have to expose your flaws and the cracks and the, and the ugliness of your sin and, 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 and face the facts that you're not perfect. That's the first extreme. But then the other response is just, just to pretend that it doesn't happen, to ignore it. Stick my head in the sand. I don't have any sin. I'm a Christian. Christians don't deal with sin. I'm a, I, I'm, you know, you watch on TV and we see, you know, we see the, the Hallmark, uh, the movies and the, the, that, that, those, we try to create that in our life. That's what Christianity is. It's all sunshine and roses. I'm always, I always, uh, have the right thing to say and, and every movie ends in 30 minutes with a happy ending, right? Uh, like on TV, uh, every bad guy is caught before the 45-minute episode is over, and they've solved the world's problems, and that must be like the Christian life. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be perfect. And I'm gonna walk with Jesus. I'm never gonna have another bad day. Uh, no one's gonna, uh, no one, I mean, everyone's gonna like me now, and this is gonna be perfect, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have any problems. I'm a Christian. And then that day happens. And for some of us, it was like five minutes after we had that epiphany that everything was gonna be sunshine and roses. But eventually that day happens where we fall, and then we have a choice to make. We can ignore it. We, we sin. We can ignore it and say, well, I don't like this, so I'm just going to pretend it never happened and just kind of think positively. But God says, you, you can't ignore that stuff. That's what we're going to talk about today. When you get to that point, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a believer now, and maybe you're new. Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe this is something that you really started to embrace, and, 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 and you have this idea. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how our, our perspective of God, when my, when my perception of God clashes with the reality of God, um, there's a problem. I have, to, I have a choice to make. Well, we all have perceptions of what we think Christianity is going to be like. Uh, I, now I come to church. You know, I, I have problems. I started coming to church, and so now my problems are starting to resolve themselves. God is fixing my life. He's getting it back together. Things are going to be great. It's only downhill from here, right? Or the easy way, whatever that might be. Uh, no battles to face, no more mountains to climb, and then all of a sudden, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did this. I can't believe that I did the exact same thing that I thought that God fixed out of me. 
I thought that you were going to fix this problem of mine, God. I thought that this was all going to be done. I didn't think I had to deal with that anymore. I move on. It's, 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 it's the equivalent of I've, I've grown out of the baby stages and now I'm an adult. There's, I, I didn't think I had to deal with those issues anymore. And yet as Christians, and if you live the Christian life any length of time, you know we all fall. We all stumble. Proverbs tells us that a just man falls seven times. This guy's falling a lot. And it's the exact same thing every time. What happens when that occurs in my life? John tells us here what he expects kind of to see from a Christian. But he wants to encourage us at the same time as make sure that we have the truth. Now, he was talking about fellowship. He was talking about joy. He was talking about forgiveness. He was talking about uh, uh, the, the, the cleansing that, that the blood of Jesus will do for our sins, not just at salvation, but the, the life after salvation. But John says something very, very, very clear at the very beginning of the, of the chapter 2. He says, now, he says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. He says, I, I'm telling you these things for a reason. I don't want you to use this as an excuse. I don't want you to begin to twist the, the understanding that you have of what the Bible teaches and, and treat this as a get out of jail card and say, okay, I got my, I got forgiveness in my pocket and I'm going to go and do whatever I please. And then whenever I get caught, whenever I feel bad about it, all I got to do is whip out my, hey, I got, I got some forgiveness. So God, you, you have to forgive me. That's not how that works. And so we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at uh, when a Christian sins. We have three things that we see from these two verses that we have when a Christian sins. So let's just jump right into that. Number one, we have a choice. We have a choice. Being a Christian means you have a choice whether or not you're going to sin. Everybody, any, everybody, uh, anybody ever heard someone say the phrase, the devil made me do it? Anybody ever heard someone say that before? Okay, that's not true, okay? The devil didn't make you do that. Your mom might have made you do it, right? Or your dad might have made you. But no one makes you do bad. Well, my friends made me do it. They pressured me into doing it. But you still had a choice, right? You could have gone with the flow or you could have gone against the flow. You chose what you did. And as a Christian, we have a choice. That's what John says at the very beginning of the verse there. He says, my little Christian, my little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. I told you about forgiveness, not to encourage you to go do whatever you want and then show you how to get out of it. I didn't tell you for that reason. I told you about fellowship. I told you about joy. I told you about the cleansing of Jesus' blood. I told you about all of these things so far in the first chapter of my writing. In 10 verses, I've told you about all these things, and here's why. So that you wouldn't sin, because you have a choice. I think this is really, really interesting. I want you, if you'll take your Bible with me, and let's go to chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6. Now, don't leave your place in 1 John, but go to Romans chapter 6. And there's some very cool verses in Romans chapter 6. And I'm jumping ahead of my outline if you're, if you're an OCD person with outline issues. But I will get back to them, I promise. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to look in verse number 1. I think this is an amazing an amazing thought that, Rome, that Paul uh, has for uh, this 
this uh, group of people here that he's writing to. He says in chapter 6 and verse number 1, he says, what shall we say then? Now, he was talking about justification at the, at the earlier part, and he's been talking about a lot of different things, but he's talking about how basically the theme of Romans is the just shall live by faith. It's not a works thing. He didn't earn this. And so then, he, then this, is, this is a conclusion. He says, verse number 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He was talking about sin, and he's saying that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, and all these things. And so then he says, well, so what's our response now? He says, do we just continue in sin that grace can continue to abound? God forbid, verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says, we're dead to that stuff. How are we going to live in something that we are dead to? He goes on, I'm going to skip uh, uh, down through this chapter uh, several times, but look at verse number 7. It says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. If you're dead to sin, that means you're free from it, which means it no longer has a hold on you. It no longer has uh, its, 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 its shackles on you. Now when a Christian sins, we do it because we signed up for it. It might have happened accidentally, but really every time we sin because we made a choice to disobey. We made a choice to do that which we have been told not to do in Scripture. Or we made a choice not to do that which we've been commanded to do in Scripture. It's all, I don't, I'm not bound by, and that's what salvation did for me, is that it freed me from the, it didn't free me from being a sinner, because I'm still a sinner. It freed me from the penalty of that. It freed me from the captivity of that. And so now I am no longer held captive by sin. It says I'm dead to it. I'm dead to those things, and so it, it has no effect on me. If we were to have a funeral, and we have a, a body up here, you walk up to the dead body and slap it in the face, it won't get mad at you. It doesn't. You didn't hurt its feelings. You tell it a joke, it's not going to laugh. You call it a name, it's not going to get mad at you. You can do whatever you want to that body, and it's not going to respond because it's dead. It's dead to you. It doesn't. It doesn't have any. Uh, you have no effect on that body anymore. That 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 body is 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 completely unaffected by anything that you say or do to it. And that's what Paul says at salvation. Now that you're a Christian, now that you're a believer, you're not free from being a sinner. You're going to still sin, but you're free from the power of it. You're free from what it's going to, it doesn't have control over you anymore like it would have before you were, before you were a believer. Let's continue on and just jumping around in this, in this verse, highlighting some great uh, thoughts from this. Verse number 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We'll come back to that verse in just a second. Verse number 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. So apparently there is a, there is a, uh, a circumstance or an environment when sin can have dominion over you, controlling you, conquering you, and uh, you becoming the servant or the slave to it. And Paul says here, it shouldn't be that way. It shall not be that way. Look in verse number 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You used to belong to sin. You used to belong to evil. But it says in verse number 18, being then made free from sin. So that's great. This is awesome. We are no longer slaves to sin. One more, verse number 20, for when you were the servants of sin, verse 22, but now being made free from sin. See, uh, under your outline there, we have a choice. Let me say this, sin is a reality to all of us. Sin is, it's there, it's present. It's not something we're supposed to ignore, and, and chapter 1 covered that. 
Be honest about it. Confess that. It is definitely a reality to us. I hope you didn't walk into this thing thinking that everything was going to be perfect and you're going to be 100% because two things are going to happen. You're going to be very disappointed in yourself when you find out that you're still a sinner, and you're going to be very disappointed in the rest of us when you find out that we're still sinners too. The thing that changed is that we don't sin the same way, if you get that. I feel bad about my sin now. I try not to do those things anymore. I, I don't enjoy it the way that I used to before I was freed from it. it didn't, I didn't care, but now I do. Now, because I belong to Christ, I realize there's a, there's a struggle now. I don't, there's not a satisfaction there anymore. There's not a, there, there's, there's, it's, I feel really bad about it. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the conviction that I have from the Holy Spirit. And so, Sin is a reality. Number two, sin should be a concern. It's not something I just, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, Jesus saved me now. I'm good for, I'm good. Nothing you can do about it now. God, you should, should have thought about that before you wrote the Bible the way you did. You know, that's not how it works. Sin ought to be a concern. And if you truly are saved, sin is a concern for you. It's something that you're, you're not worried about it taking over, but you are definitely, uh, trying to, you've changed your attitude towards it. You definitely care how you live now. As one of God's children, we looked at the, the youth group Sunday night, we were, or Wednesday night, we were looking at 2 Corinthians 5, and Paul says, you are ambassadors for Christ. You represent Christ to this world. And as an ambassador, I definitely care how I portray Jesus Christ to people around me. If I was an ambassador to uh, another country, China or Zimbabwe or whatever, I would, I would act on my best behavior, not because I care what they think about me, but because of what, whom I represent. Because I am the United States of America to that country that I represent, or to that country that I'm, that I'm living with and living among, and I'm not one of theirs. I'm one of another country, but I'm here on behalf of that country, and everything that you, that you think about and everything that you know and believe about my country, you're gonna hear from me. I'm the ambassador. And as, and Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. We're not of this world anymore. We're of another world, a heavenly world, and yet we still live here and we represent He who is not physically here anymore. What does the world around us think about Jesus because of the way that we act? It ought to be a concern. Sin ought to be something we're concerned with. I, I'm not worried about, oh, I'm going to fall. I'm going to, sin is not an inev- inevitability. Sin is, it's going to happen. And so I want to make sure that I walk as straight a line as I can, not in order to maintain my salvation, not in order to uh, appease God or anything like that, but simply because my actions reflect either poorly or positively on my God to the people around me. And so sin should be a concern. But no, but then the last thing, and it's the same thing as the main thing, as the main point there, sin is a choice that we make. We don't have to sin. We don't, we didn't get pushed into this. Uh, we read, a, we read these verses a minute ago, but I want to go back to them in Romans 6. Look at verse 12 again, please. Notice the first two words. Let not. Don't allow it. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's an, uh, an allowance. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm okaying that. When I let things happen, it's because I didn't do anything to stop it. I proved it in a way. I allowed that to happen. I didn't step in at least and stop it. And Paul says, if you don't actively do something, regardless of sin, it's going to take over. And so you can't let that happen. Don't let it rain in your mortal body. Look at verse 13. He says, neither yield ye your members. You've given in. You just kind of sat back and watched it happen. 
You have to do something. You have to fight it. And that's what Paul talks about later on in his writings. He says, there's a war going on in my body, in my members. He says, there's, there's, there's the good and the bad. There's the evil and the righteousness. And, and they are warring. And he says, you know what? I find in me, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And, and, and he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It's a battle. It's a struggle. And Paul says here in the Romans, he says, that's how you get victory. You don't yield. You don't just sit back and say, well, whatever may be, may be. Que sera, sera. That's not how we live the Christian life. We're fighting. We're, we're, we're pushing. We're, 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 we're identifying weaknesses. And we're saying, okay, in my life, this is a weakness. I'm not going to let it creep in. If you knew that there was a prowler, a, a murderer, walking around Sherman, New York, and, you, and you're going to bed, would you double check, maybe triple check, every door was locked? Every window was latched? Every gun was loaded? <laughs> you know, every, everything around you. You're like, well, you, you ever lay in bed sometimes, you're like, did you, you're like, lean over, hey, did you lock the door? Maybe around here it's not a big deal, but where I come from, you do that, okay? And, uh, uh, you, did you lock the door? No, I don't remember. You lay there, and you're, like, you're trying to remember, you're trying to retrace your steps because you really don't want to get out of bed. And you go ahead and do it. Um, we've several times, uh, not too many times, because we're not that irresponsible, but several times uh, we'd wake up in the morning and go out to work and the garage door's wide open. And, uh, you know, some of our neighbors like, uh, you know, like uh, two doors down, the guy got his car broke into and you pretty much just opened the door and said, come on in, help yourself. <laughs> it's not a great way to do it. You know, so, but if I know that, and I know that there's an enemy out there, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to check everything that I can and make sure that I am set and I'm not going to be content just to see what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm on the offensive in being defensive. And that's what happens with sin. I've got to get active about watching out in my life. Okay. What's going on? And, and, and even in my family's life, all right, as, as a parent, as a father, especially, uh, what are my kids going through right now? And okay, I need to, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm building walls and I'm, and I'm making sure that we're not just inviting sin. It's gonna happen. We're not gonna be perfect, okay? But we don't wanna let down all the gates and all the walls and say, well, you know, here, just, let's just see who survives. That's not how it's supposed to work. And so Paul says here, uh, in Romans and John tells us in his, uh, we have a choice. When a Christian sins, we have to recognize, first of all, we sin because we choose to. Now go back to 1 John and let's look at the next verse. I think this is an awesome thing because I know that I, ha- I know that I have a sin problem. Okay? And I hope that you know that you have a sin problem. So what happens then when I do sin? Okay? It's good to know that I have a choice not to sin. But then, okay, that doesn't help me after I've sinned, right? You know, with our kids, you know, we we try to teach them to do right and, and hey, don't do this and threaten them with their lives. If they, hey, you, you do that, no, no, you, you pay for that. But then when they mess up, when they actually do that thing that we've really tried to get them not to do, now what? Do threats work? Do we, do we, are we really going to ground them for life? What if a child did something just horrible? That, I mean, something in your mind, you're like, oh, I, I, I really don't, I've tried, I've taught them and trained them better than that. 
We have an option, right? We can come and we can say, I told you not to do that. I mean, this, this is exactly why I've been getting right in their face. But does that really fix anything? Does that really help anything? That They've already committed that. And yeah, you're sad and you're disappointed and let down, but what helps and what's better is when we come along and say, okay, I never wanted you to get here, but you're here. So let me help you back. Can't change the past. We can't undo what was done. So we can move on from here. And that's exactly what John's going to explain that Jesus does for us in chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, well, I'm sorry, it's the end of chapter, uh, it's the end of verse 1. And if any man sin, though you do have a choice, but if, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So number two, when I sin, I have an advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is like a defense lawyer. It's an interceder to a friend who steps in on my behalf. It's someone who steps up to bat in my place and says, I'm going to help you out of this. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to help you put the pieces back together. That's an advocate. Uh, in, in, a, in a legal system, uh, there, there would be, there's a, there's a, a person uh, called a child advocate. And, and, and it, because a child doesn't know uh, you know, all the rights and things and the legal loopholes and things so that they, they will put a, an adult will step in and be the child's advocate and they will speak on behalf of the child and they will help that child make the right decisions because they don't know. They don't know how to do it. Um, many of us, okay, most more likely all of us, if we got into legal problems and we knew we were going to stand before a judge, we would go and we would find a lawyer, right? We'd find a good lawyer because we don't know enough. Now, we're all smart folk, right? But we don't know enough of the legal system to stand before the judge and against maybe a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney. We don't know enough to get things the way we feel that they need to be done. So we hire someone who is well-versed in this stuff, and they're an expert in this, and they can help us, and then they will speak on our behalf. And that's what God says. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus is our advocate. It says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, this is not saying that we... The reason this is awesome is because this is partly why we don't have to restart salvation again. Uh, this is a this is a courtroom scene. Get this in your mind. Picture this in your mind. We're at a courtroom. And you're the person on trial because you've sinned. Because you've broken God's laws. And it's not the first time. In fact, you were already forgiven. You were already a Christian. And now you stand before God once again as guilty. What are you going to do? I mean, you're disappointed in yourself, definitely, because you didn't think that it was ever going to come back to this. And you really hoped, and you've been trying, and you've been working and praying, and reading your Bible and coming to church and trying to do the things that you know you're supposed to do, but all of a sudden, one day, it just, you just quit trying. You just had a bad day. You just say, you know, I don't care. And you went ahead and did that thing that you did. And then you realize, because now the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and He's saying, He's saying that's not right and, and, and that, and that was wrong. And now you've, you step back into the darkness and you've got to walk back into the light. And you've got to, you've got to get this right. You've got to fix this right. And if, if you, you're going to lose fellowship, you're going to lose, you're going to lose that joy that, that you can only have when you're in the light. And so, okay, I want to do that. I want to get back. But the problem is the person that I offended is my judge. 
God is the judge and he's standing there and I've got to step into that courtroom and I've got to, I've got to figure out some way to, to fix all this. And so I get myself a lawyer. Jesus Christ. He's my lawyer. He's my advocate. And so I'm sitting there. Hopefully men, not too many of us have too much courtroom experience, but, uh, you know, we, we all have this idea. You know, we all, maybe when you were a little kid, you went on a, a courtroom field trip or something. You went in there and, you know, we've seen enough Perry Mason, right? How I many of you don't know who Perry Mason is? But, uh, you know, I, I watched that. Every, all of his clothes were in black and white. Uh, that was pretty boring. But my mom loved Perry Mason, so I watched way too much Perry Mason growing up. But the, uh, the, 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 ju- the judge is at the front, and, and then we have the, 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 the prosecutors over here, and then we have the defense over here. And, and so I'm sitting over here in the defense, and the judge comes in and reads the charges against me, and I know I did those things, but any good defense, right, is going to plead for my innocence, right? I mean, that's kind of what a defense attorney is supposed to do, trying to, trying to find a loophole somehow and trying to fix this. And so the, 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 the judge reads the, the, uh, the, the, the charges against me, and Jesus, my advocate, stands up. And the judge says, how do you plead? And Jesus says, he's guilty of all of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus got to prove my innocence, my guilt. You're on the wrong side of the table. I need, I need you to prove my innocence. I need you to get me back into God's good graces. I don't need you to dig the, the ditch deeper than I've already done it. Uh, Jesus, back down. He says, in fact, your honor, he is not just guilty of these charges. I'm convinced that he is guilty of many more things that are not even on that list yet. In fact, I believe that if he were, if you were to let him go, he will probably go back into the same problems that he's here for today. Jesus, Jesus you're making it worse. Please stop. The judge examines that. Well, the penalty, the Bible says, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. You sin, you deserve to die. Eternal separation from me, and yet, Jesus, your honor, may I... Uh, May I approach, may I approach the bench? May I speak to you privately? And he walks forward and he shows him those hands. Father, the penalty is death. I already took care of it though. This one's mine. This one, I took this one. He's guilty, but it's already been paid. The father can sit back and smile Declare us free to go because it's already been paid for. He's, he's our advocate. But then we get down to number three, that, that last little bit there. He is our propitiation. Good, long, confusing Christian word. He is our propitiation. I put it up on the screen. So if you wanted to learn how to spell it, you're good. When we sin, we have a propitiation. Propitiation here, I was like, okay, how are we going to explain this? So I, I looked at the, the first definition, atonement. It's like, good, that helped like four more people understand what propitiation means. <laughs> I was like, but for the rest of us, so then, and just like me, I was like, okay, now what does atonement mean? <laughs> so I'm starting to look, and I'm going to get down to, uh, trying to, trying to get down to, without taking too much away from the definition, what does atonement mean? It's reconciliation. Atonement is a Bible word that goes back to the Old Testament with those, 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 the, the, the sacrifices, the cutting the, cutting the neck and, and catching the blood in the basin and atoning. Propitiation is very different than forgiveness. It's a good way to understand it by understanding what it's not. Forgiveness is when I say, 
Okay, I'll let that go. I'll let that slide. You come up and you spit in my face. And if I say, I forgive you, that means you don't have to make up for it. I'm not going to get back at you. There's no revenge. And you, we can. I'm just going to repair the relationship instantly. That is not propitiation. Propitiation does not say, okay, all is forgiven. You can go home now. Propitiation says it has to be paid for. And that's what a propitiation is. It's that payment. It's that atonement. It's that thing that satisfied the scales of justice. So no, not only is Jesus my advocate, my helper, my lawyer, he's also that which satisfied my payment. He is the one that said, okay, the wage of sin is death. I paid for it. I am not just your advocate. I'm not just your lawyer. I'm also the one who went to the cross for you. I'm also the one who paid for that sin for you. God didn't just overlook my sin and say, okay, well, you said you're sorry, so I guess I'll forgive it. He said, no, no, no. It still has to be paid for. It still has to be satisfied. God is a, a just, and we looked at it last week. God is loving and God is, and, and God is, it loves us, but also God is just and God is perfect. And those, those uh, sins have to be paid for somehow. And so God does, doesn't say, well, okay, I'll just wipe them all away because you, you believe in me. No, the reason that we get to believe in him, the reason that we have the opportunity to simply put our faith in Christ is because Christ paid for those sins. Look at just about every other religion in the world, it seems like, has, has the opposite going on. We have to appease the gods. And that's, that's kind of what propitiation means. It means to appease the gods. I was really looking hard this week for some kind of story. And it just seemed to be all, all sorts of them. But, you know, we read stories maybe from missionaries or about these weird, weird, uh, cultural or uh, religious rituals that they do. And maybe they would, they would, you know, they have a volcano and they believe he's a god. And so they would take these fruits and the, and the food and, and sometimes they'd even take people and they would throw them into the volcano or they'd throw them at the foot of the volcano to try to appease the god. So that the volcano god, because he gets mad. I mean, fire comes out and it kills us all. And so we got to keep that god happy. And we, we bring our, our propitiation and we lay it at the foot of the, at the volcano or we toss it into the volcano or whatever it may be and we try to keep him satisfied. Uh, the Egyptians would do that with the Nile River. Uh, when the Nile River would overflood its banks, it was good. And when it would, uh, when it was, when it was drought, it was bad. And so, uh, they, they would, they would try to satisfy the God. They would try to appease the God. Well, okay, God, Jehovah God had to be appeased. But he didn't want fruit. He didn't want goats and bulls and and cows and, and, and the blood of those animals. He wanted a perfect, holy, sinless substitute. Couldn't find anyone. And so he did it himself. That's how God is love. The truth, the justice, the light of God says... I'm not going to let this go. It's got to happen. It, there's got to be paid for. You're not just going to slide by on this. I'm not going to look the other way and let you slip on by. It's going to be paid for. I'm going to hold you accountable to it. But there's only one way it can be paid for, and that's I'm the only person who can do it. So God himself becomes a man, 100% God, 100% man. And we stand before, he, he, he walked among us and he lived among us. And, and, and then he allowed us to uh, ignore him. He allowed us to betray him. He allowed us to whip him and hurt him and do all of these things to him. He allowed us to put him on a cross. He allowed us to spit on him. And, 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 and he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have spoke the word and, 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 and poof, we'd all been uh, judged and, and whatever it may have been. But he didn't. He let us go through all this because he knew. He was the only way that it was going to happen to bring man back to himself. He was the propitiation, the atonement. 
the payment, that which appeased the gods, the God, the reconciler. God, our judge, is not against us. He is for us. Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? It's not me versus God when a Christian sins. God says, I really want to help you with this. So I'm going to be your advocate. I'm going to be a lawyer, but I'm also going to be that which paid for all of it. And I don't have to keep going back and paying for your sins because I paid it once for all. You're the, I'm the propitiation. I atoned for your sins on Calvary. And so now when one of his own sins, he can forgive. He can let it go. Now, that's why chapter 1 says that we can't have forgiveness. Because it reminds, when we, when we come and, I, and I've sinned, maybe I, I, I said an unkind word or I did something uh, and I hurt someone and I, I did, I sinned. I committed sin, okay? And, and I come to God and I say, God, I'm so sorry. I did this wrong. I don't have to get saved again. I don't have to do all the steps all over again because it was already done. It was already paid for. Because there, it has been paid for, now he can say, done. It's okay. I forgive you now. I can fix this. That's what we have when a Christian sins. Yeah, we have a choice. Yes, I sinned and it's my fault. Okay, I'm past that. Now what do I do? I go to Jesus. Because he will help me. Bible says he ever lives to intercede for me. He lives in heaven and he lives to intercede on my behalf. To go to God when I sin. Father, guess he messed up again. But he's trying. And I paid for it all. It's already been done. Forgiven. He can move on. He can he can fix these things. David Guzik said it this way, God himself presented himself as that which would turn away his righteous wrath against our sin. I love that. The fact that God, what other, what other doctrine, what other teaching, what other religion is going gonna, is gonna to teach us and going to show us that God died for the, the man? Usually it's the other way around. You have to do something for the God. But the truth is, God did something for me. And he made it completely attainable. This forgiveness, this propitiation, this atonement. This is why John tells us to be honest about our sin. This is why he tells us in the first chapter not to ignore it, not to just say, well, you know what, I don't really, I don't really care. He says, no, because it costs something. It costs. The reason that I had to come is because you messed up. The reason that, that, that I had to leave heaven and live on earth, the reason that there had to be a Calvary, the reason that there has to be a Christmas, and the reason that there has to be an Easter is because of men who sinned and, and, and betrayed the, and, and, and gave up what God had given them, a perfect paradise. They went into the darkness. God said, the only way I can get you back is if I do something about it myself. Not only will you want to come back because you willingly rejected me anyways, you couldn't if you wanted to. But Jesus stepped in and became that bridge that allows men to come back to God. And he drew him to drew us to himself. John said, This is why I told you these things. Because when that does happen, 
Jesus will be ready to step in on our behalf. This shouldn't motivate us to live carelessly and recklessly. Look at that verse again, Romans 6. We'll put it up on the screen there. What do we say then? Let's continue in sin so grace can abound. Let's just do what we want to do because there's always grace, right? Just sprinkle a little bit more grace on that and all is good. No, no, no. How, how can we live the same way? How can I continue in the dark when I know what I know about what Jesus did for me? And not what he just did for me that one day on Calvary, but what he does for me every day up until today and every day into the future, and he ever lives to intercede for me, and he becomes my advocate, and he's here, and he's, he's here to help me. And he said, listen, I know how to speak to the Father because I and my Father are one. I know how to help you. If you'll just come back in the light, if you'll step in the light because we want to help, we want to love, but as long as you stay over there, you'll never know. You find yourself there, you stepped into the light one day, and you said, you know what, I, I, need, to say, I need to be saved, Jesus. It's not me, it's not, it's not a church, it wasn't a religion, and I got saved, okay? But I know who I am, and because Jesus didn't instantly perfect me, he began a good work in me, and he'll perform it until the day of his return. But it didn't happen overnight, and so I know that every once in a while I slip. Christian word we use is backslide. We just we stumble, we fall, whatever you want to say, but honestly what it is is I chose to say, you know what? I remember how much fun it was over there, and so I just go back. I only intended to be here for a night. I only intended to be here for a few moments. I'll go back over there. I mean, Sunday's coming anyway, so i got to make sure I get right. But every once in a while, I kind of find myself over here a little too long. Jesus said, hey, you'll come back over. I can help you. I will be your advocate. That, that thought, that truth should encourage me. Not to live how I want, but to live carefully and honestly. Knowing that how many times I fall down. No matter how hard or how far I fall, there's someone to help us back up. He's not just anyone. Not just a great lawyer. Jesus Christ himself, my advocate. And in that hope, in that truth, there's confidence. Because now I can live the Christian life confidently knowing I'm not perfect and I'm not doing this all because of who I am. But i got a great God. Not only is he wonderful to serve, loves me, but he helps me get back when I mess up. I wonder who who's like that this morning. You say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've, I've been over in the darkness a little too much. I've been over in the darkness and... Maybe I was ashamed, I was embarrassed to come back over into the light because I just embarrassed myself for having done this. I mean, it'd be one thing if we had to come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness a second chance. The phraseology, God of the second chance, but honestly, God's a God of as many chances as we need. Because I think I blew my second chance about 10 seconds into salvation. And my third, and I don't even know what chance I'm on. I've, I've stopped counting. Jesus doesn't count. He says, as long as you come and ask for forgiveness, as long as you'll come and step into the light and be honest and confess, I'll be your lawyer. I hope. Not only will I help, I already paid for it. It qualifies me to help. You're sitting here this morning saying, yeah, that's me. Sin. 
What did I do? What do I do? We're going to get into love. We're going to get into how you, how you evidence that love. But all of us need to remind, we need to remember, because this hits every single one of us. This is not just for adults. It's not just for kids, not for teens. You don't outgrow this. You don't outgrow sin. Until the day you stop breathing, you'll have a sin problem. This is what you do to fix it.